90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Pretty good. Getting ready for a field trip on like the, you know, 80 degree day we're going to have tomorrow. So pretty stoked about that alignment of the stars. <laughs> I, I just had to bust everybody's bubble tonight in our cul-de-sac <laughs> little little meeting of everybody's like, this is great. And I said, Enjoy it while it's here. <laughs> exactly. You got two more days, suckers. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I did that a couple of times today just for sport as well. <laughs> Right. It was like, it's spring, and you're like, ah, fooled you. Yes. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Darth I Helmet mean... would say. <laughs> oh, yeah. I caught your reference, sir. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, it's been really nice the last couple of days, so that's wonderful. And like I said, field trip. Um, it feels really weird. I'm not going to lie. We have been on so few field trips in the last two years. I feel like I don't even know what to do to prepare for this. Yeah. Well, I mean, and seeing real rocks, it's going to be a first it, for these kids. Exactly. Like in place. <laughs> um, and it really is a first for them. They've hardly gone on any field trips. This class. Which is crazy because that's like the best thing about getting a geology degree. Uh, correct. <laughs> um, that is correct. And our field trips have been cut short because we've already had two cancellations because of the weather. And then we're just going to run out of time. So, but they have field camp ahead of them. So I think they're all getting very excited about it. Nice. Yeah. So how was your week? How was your, how was your new ridiculously huge baby? In your shop. It is terrifying. <laughs> we got some training on it. It's super scary. Um, I'm very, very tentatively using it. Oh. <laughs> That's, what did you have it do for its maiden voyage? Uh, see, the first, first thing we did was we made just a little ring out of aluminum that we needed, a little bearing retainer. Okay. And then we jumped straight into making a load cell part, okay. which was out of hardened 17.4 stainless. Mm-hmm. We didn't realize quite how hard that stuff was. We got <laughs> three holes out of a drill bit before it cooked it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and not, not deep holes either, like okay. 1.1 inches. <gasps> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so that part took a while. And then the last thing that we did during our training was make screws, little thumb screws with knurling and a slot and everything. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, those are the most expensive thumb screws ever made. <laughs> Which is funny because they are actually part of the reason we bought this machine because we need like 500 of them for an oh. upcoming project. Oh, okay. There and if know. we buy them, they're not what we want. Like they're not the size we want. They're a size that will work. Mm, mm-hmm. And the ones we buy, we have to modify. So we have to put them in a lathe anyway. Okay. And we pay about $5 each. Wow. For the ones that we buy, and then we have to modify them, 
versus these, it took a minute and 45 seconds to make the screw, and it cost about a nickel in material. Wow. So, I mean, that's good, but obviously But not. dividing the cost of the machine yes. over 500 <laughs> screws, yeah, they're about 1,000. <laughs> no, they're not quite that bad, but they're... Uh, <laughs> They're expensive still. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you'll use it for more than that. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, it's, uh, you know, we've been trying to figure out how to get this bar puller thing to work where it'll, like, unclamp the chuck and pull the metal forward and clamp and just start making the next part so we mm. don't have to do anything. It's pretty cool. That's exciting. Um, I was doing this with my eggs for a while. And, yeah, the cost of the chickens and all the food and their coop and everything. Yeah, I accidentally dropped an egg. I'm like, mm, that was a $75 egg. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think we're down to the dollars per egg now. <laughs> so it's getting better. See, it's, it's like with airplanes. Uh, <laughs> you do what, what everybody calls pilot math, <laughs> which is you just don't do it. <laughs> you say it's probably reasonable and move on. Oh, man. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Because you just don't want to know. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Just eat your eggs and be quiet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh, though I did find out, you know, Arkansas has got some really nice uh, workforce training grant opportunities right now that we're looking into mm. to try to train all of us in our respective fields. Oh, wow. Really? So, yeah. Um, they're wanting to keep jobs in the state, and they're wanting to uh, bring more more skilled labor in. So, yeah, we're trying to work with the state on some of that and see if we can all get some training and, you know, have, have John learn about maintenance on these machines uh, and have me run uh, some training on maybe some CAD or something. It'll be interesting. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so lots of fun stuff going on. I mean, huh. so I will tell you that this week I have tasked my graduate students with something that may be the most painful thing I've ever done, and we'll see what you have to say about it. Um, <laughs> I told them that I think that we should learn P-Magpie. Okay. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I've said it for a couple of weeks now, but there was no impetus by anyone to get on that so I did the dreaded advisor text today of how are you guys coming along with this <laughs> right <laughs> and I got back the response of uh yeah I'll get it installed when I get home okay great and then I got back the response of there's a few hiccups got it installed and then about 10 minutes later I have nothing else I don't know what else to do now <laughs> so <laughs> all right so we're all going to take a look at it together and it just is going to remind me about how little I know about software, and I'll probably be really mad, and you'll probably hear about it, but we'll see. <laughs> I'll say, do I need to come over and do a, an intervention on the, the computer's part? <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. I mean, the computer that we have going in our lab now, not the one we're using for PMagPie, but I made them hook up all the old computers just to see what was on there. And so I jumped on to check my email because I was in that corridor and I was like, I'm just going to go into my lab and check my email real quick. Oh, God bless it. It had reset for some reason and it reset, you know, when it resets, it resets to that default date and time of like manufacture, essentially. 2008 is what the date was. 
All right. <laughs> That's not that long ago. Uh, it's not that long ago, right? <laughs> I mean, it's after 2000. That's like yesterday. That's true. I mean, it's older than my kid, but no big deal. <laughs> He's in junior right. high. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's so. terrifying. Uh-huh, isn't it? That's the thing that's terrifying. <laughs> uh, so that's how, um, that's how my week's been. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it'd actually be fun. So one of the activities that we're doing right now at work is working on our documentation. Oh. Because it's, we make <laughs> great products. We make amazing products, I dare say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if nobody knows how to use them, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it's been a long time since we've talked about software and stuff on a show. Yeah, we've actually been on a run of pretty much straight geology. <laughs> yeah, we sure have. We had that one weather show um, last week. But uh, I'm really excited to talk about this because this is something that has been on and off of my to-do list for quite some time. And, you know, the last couple of years that's been on my my um, yearly, what are those things? Resolutions. <laughs> To, right. learn, to learn some new software. And this is one that I think about a lot and I've thought about since my dissertation is what you wanted to talk about today. And we've mentioned it before, mm-hmm. but we had never really gone into it. And did I you, thought this would be a great thing to throw at people. <laughs> did, did you check to see if we've gone into it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I find it hilarious that we have so many shows now that every time I, I'm like, that's a great idea. And I'm like, surely we've had that idea before. <laughs> well, because in doing preparation, I learned some things myself. Oh, wow. So really? I'm pretty sure that we haven't gone into it, at least to this extent. Okay. All right. So let's do it. Let's talk about latex. <laughs> oh, no. First, the first rule of latex is you don't say latex. <laughs> I just did that to make you twitch. <laughs> so we in in the we do have some documentation for some of our products, but I said I want all the documentation to look the same. Okay. And there were definitely different looking pieces of documentation from different eras of me doing documentation or okay. other people doing documentation for us. Yeah. And I said, no, I want everything to look the same. And I really like the flexibility. Well, okay. Maybe flexibility is the wrong word. I like the <laughs> abilities of LaTeX. Okay. So I said, okay, we're going to do all this in LaTeX. And I think the guys thought I was kind of crazy. <laughs> but I said, here's a tutorial. You know, luckily we had some snow days. So everybody mm-hmm. got to work from home. And now... I think I've made believers out of them. Wow, really? Okay, so it took what a week, two weeks? Two a weeks. week of a week of actually using it to go. I see why this is awesome. Okay, so ages ago, and we have mentioned this a couple of times, and I'm sure I mentioned it way back when. Um, so when I wrote my master's and my dissertation, there were not ah, these helpful things they have now, which are templates done up. So you can just download this template. So now you've got your table of contents and your figures are all linked and everything. Um, but they offer it, the graduate college offers it not only in Word format, but they offer it in LaTeX format as well. It's true. And that was 
impressive to me. But I mean, who is this like Unix? Is this like a freeware thing? And yes. who uses this? When did it when did it come about? All right. Yeah. So LaTeX, LaTeX, whatever, however you want to say it. Not LaTeX, though, which is how it's mm. spelled, everybody. <laughs> yes, but in the funky font. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I first got a hold of it when I was looking at some meteorology documents that had all these complicated formulas. The only way I knew how to calc- or to type form typeset formulas before was to use words equation editor, which is awful. Awful. <laughs> yes. So I said, hey, professor, how did you do this? And he said, oh, it's LaTeX. And mm-hmm. that was all. And I said, hmm. So I went and did some reading. I thought, this is really interesting. I see how this could be powerful. And kind of stopped there for a little while. Well, then I got involved in research and needed to start drafting a paper. And it had some equations in it, so I just did it in LaTeX. It had an opportunity to spend a Saturday evening with a tutorial that I found and went through the tutorial and said, hey, this is pretty neat. Turns out the publisher I was looking at using had LaTeX templates, so it was kind of fill in the blank. There you go. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've been hooked on it. Okay. Um, Did you find the... So does it look like Word? What does it look like? Not at all. (laughs) So the learning curve is steep then. The learning curve is relatively steep. Uh, The... Like all things computer science, this goes back to Donald Newth. Yep. All right. So uh, in the early books that he wrote, one of them, one of the first Knuth books was, uh, I think it was typeset and hot press still, actually. It, it was mechanically typeset, put it that way. Oh, wow. Old school typeset. Okay. One of his later books was digitally typeset and he did not like the look of it at all okay being a font typesetting snob nerd yeah (laughs) um didn't like it so like anybody in their right mind would do he sat down and wrote a document typesetting system called tech (laughs) uh tex Mm-hmm. And it ran on, I think it ran on the PDP-8 or something like that, like old school wow. machines. Um, and also didn't like a lot of the fonts that were available because they weren't like the fonts from the late 1800s that were used in the mechanical typesetting that he liked. Okay. So he also created a font. Okay. That font is called Computer Modern. And um. if you see a document with Computer Modern font... One, you know, it was generated by tech. And, I mean, that's to me, that's the hallmark. I can tell a tech document from a mile away generally. Mm-hmm. But especially if you see something with Computer Modern, which you get an eye for, you know it was tech. Gotcha. Okay. But tech was not super feature-rich. It was really just the typesetting. All right. So people started writing macros. 
to do things. Yeah, so (laughs) to do things like (laughs) sections and headings and chapters and table of contents and all these wonderful things. Not macros to play Pac-Man, which is what I'm familiar with. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, gotcha. And that became, well, so Leslie Lamport is the person who wrote LaTeX. And really, it was just a set of macros that he wrote that people say, you really should publish these and make them useful. Uh, And he ended up being convinced to write a manual on it. And he's like, nobody's going to want this. So he wrote the LaTeX manual, and it sold like hundreds of thousands of copies. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. And then at the Tech Users Group, which I think was Stanford, Tug, Tech Users Group, mm-hmm. um, it was orig- eventually taken over by some folks there, and now it's this big open source project. Oh, Okay. Hmm. It is, it's like writing a program in C, sort of. All right. You, the the idea is it is not a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get, which is what Word or Google Docs or any of those word processors are. Mm -hmm. The idea is you focus on writing the stuff. So you're using a text editor. Like, if you're hardcore, you're writing in VI. Right. Uh, whatever editor you like. You're writing a plain text file. Mm-hmm. And that text file has commands in it. Mm-hmm. In addition to your content. And then you take this file and you run it through a compiler, just like you would a C program. And that generates the output document. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. What's what's the I mean what besides the equation part of it? Like what's the advantage to using just a text editor versus Word? Well, I mean, for one, it does really let you focus on writing the content. Okay. Like how many times have you been doing stuff in Word and you spend longer fighting getting the table to stay in the same place on the page than writing what you need to write? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, exactly. So yep. it eliminates that. Okay. Uh, and it does much nicer, more intelligent typesetting. <laughs> so it's got all these rules. And, like, you, you can force figures to be places. You can force tables to be places. But okay. if you don't force them to be somewhere, it is going to look at the length of all the text that you've got, all the paragraphs that you've got, the size of the figures, the size of the tables, how much room is left on each page, and it is going to optimize the layout. Oh, oh, that sounds scary. <laughs> so maybe this table is actually on the previous page to where it's referenced. Mm, okay. Or maybe two figures that have a couple paragraphs of text between them are right by each other on a page because that's the most efficient way to lay the page out. But that sounds like a pain to try to fix sometimes, though. But most of the time you don't need to. Really? Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Most of the time you're like, 
That was actually a pretty smart place to put that. I got Way to go, tech. <laughs> okay. Um, it also, well, the reference system is amazing. Uh, so it's got BibTech, which can take records for papers and then like you just type slash ref Doolin 2019 and -hmm. it will go to your BibTech library and get all the information for Doolin 2019 and you can give it a style file to say the journal I'm submitting to wants their references in this style and it makes your bibliography. Ooh. Okay. Um, You can also do slash ref to like figures, tables, that kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So you name your figure. You say, like, this figure is SEM image. And when you want to reference that figure, you say C figure slash ref SEM image. Oh, so then when I have to move that, the numbering doesn't get off. Exactly. Mm, That's a killer. It makes table of contents automatically. You you literally type slash table of contents, and it (laughs) does it all. (laughs) Now, Word can do that, too, now, I know. Um, yeah, yeah, but it couldn't always. Right. In, in, in the Dark Ages. <laughs> uh, it didn't. So it can do that. It does, like, list of figures, list of tables. Uh, there's plugins to do practically everything. You can create a graph in tech. That's interesting. You can give it your XY data points, and it will create the graph. Okay. Do you do that? Does it look good? I do not. It looks okay. <laughs> but something easy it would be fine for. Well, or if it's an automated report, like okay. say it's not a graph that's going to be published. It doesn't need to be beautiful. It needs to be useful. Right. Like you could have, you could write, away for after pmagpy to have processed your data mm-hmm. that it automatically generates a report in a standard format with Ziderfelds and everything because all pmagpy has to do is write the LaTeX and run it through a compiler. Okay. And you get standard PDF reports for every sample. Let me write this down real quick. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. God. There's all this out there. This is where, like, you get overwhelmed with, like, how long does it take you to learn how to function within this environment? And you just have to sit down and do it, right? Like, Yes, and it's a lot better than it used to be. Um, you're not typing, like, GCC-O, <laughs> my paper. Um, <laughs> the, the handiest distribution now is called MicTech. Okay, I was going to ask you about this because when I was looking it up, I... Saw the MicTech and the ProText or Tech Live, yeah. Yeah, so there's all these distributions, there's all these tools. MicTech has a lot of handy, so there's packages, just like in Python, just like in whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, somebody wrote a package that lets you do alternating row colors on tables. Oh, somebody okay. wrote a package that lets you do something. Yeah, I probably have a dozen packages in my normal import. Ah, so this is stuff. This is where the Git repository comes into people put that stuff on Git and you can just grab it. Yep. Okay. Now it makes more sense. So, and, and MicTech, if you're trying to use a package that is registered in the tech package repository, 
and it's not installed, it'll pop up and say, hey, it looks like you're trying to use this, but you don't have it. Would you like me to install it? Oh. Yes, please. And it goes and does it. That's nice. Yeah. And it's got a very friendly, like, it is a big green play button. So you finish writing <laughs> your document, and you hit the green play button, and it compiles, and it does all the stuff it's got to do, and it gives you your PDF, and you can make changes to it and hit the play button again. Wow. All right. So that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and there's different... Uh, the other nice thing is it's uh, independent. Like, you can make slides in tech. Wow, really? There's, there's a package called Beamer that lets you make slides. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm not a big fan of Beamer slides unless I have a crap load of equations. And even then, most of the time, there's a little program you can get called LaTeXit, <laughs> where mm -hmm. you type the tech syntax in for your equation, and it generates a PNG, JPEG, or SVG of that equation. Oh, wow. Okay. So I use that. Um, but, like, there's all these document classes. That's how you always start. Is this an article? Is this a book? Is this a slideshow? Uh, mm -hmm. And that just kind of changes the formatting. Um, it's just, uh, it's relatively easy to get started with. Now, when you really want to find tweak stuff is when it gets frustrating. Okay. Making a basic document with some equations and, you know, make, making a worksheet for a class, you could do that after messing with it for an hour. Mm-hmm. When you want to do a document that the top two-thirds of the page is two column and the bottom of the page is one column and there's an image at the upper right corner, like, you can do it. But it might get... I, I, I once spent an hour and a half fighting a missing vertical line in a table. <laughs> but you know what? I made a rock site or a scientific method triangle... And in, um, in Adobe, right, in Illustrator. And it took me, and I kid you not, you know, like six hours to figure out how to make this, tri this arrow turn on itself and form a U-shape and have like a gradient color scheme. But it's like, right. once you learn that, you know, I know how to do it now. So, whatever. So yeah, and where I would be appalled by your story, like I remember it took me so many hours to make this dumb arrow that like went around the vertex of each, you know, the triangle. So, you know, now I know though. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, if you just want to do a basic document and you're not trying to do a table that's got merged cells and merged rows and all this crazy stuff, mm -hmm. it's easy. Okay. And there's a lot of tools out there now. Like there's a table generator website where you can go and in what looks kind of like Excel on the web, create your table and you say generate code and it goes, blah, here's, here's all the tech for that. Have a nice day. Wow. You know, you're just saying having like two columns at the bottom and one column at the top is enough to make me want to do it. Because <laughs> I was fighting Word on that the other day and I finally gave up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really versatile. Um, 
the other thing that I love so much, yes, you can look up the Unicode number. So what is it like mm-hmm. Alt 0176 makes the degree symbol or something like that? <laughs> Alt 0241 makes the N with the Inye on it. Because when I write Canyon City, that's how you spell it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so you can do that. Or like if you want to type the Greek character Rho, mm-hmm. you type backslash Rho. <gasps> oh. if, you, if you want a capital Rho, you type backslash capital R Rho. <laughs> that makes me really happy. Not going to lie. That sounds great. Like you want a subscript? You want to, to say V sub E? You mm-hmm. type V underscore E. Mm. Like you want a superscript? You type V carity. Okay. It's so easy. And then the next thing that you type isn't going to automatically be in subscript or superscript. Yeah, no, it's one <laughs> character unless you enclose it in braces. Mm, man, that sounds great. Because do you know how much time I've spent, yeah, dealing with that? <laughs> Every time I have to make a superscript or a sub- subscript in Google Docs, mm-hmm. I get very well, angry. Rage. Yeah. Yep. I rage as well. Yes. <laughs> I just made a test and there were some chemical equations on it. And it's like, I just cobbled it together with separate insert text box and then you know use the little chemical equation instead of using a chemical equation i just inserted an arrow you know (laughs) like it could have been done much better and much faster probably using latex oh yeah and there's packages for every subdomain political science has their own package seriously Um, yeah chemistry uh well, math and physics, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, you want to do like a dot, like a dot product? Mm-hmm. Backslash C dot. Um, <laughs> okay. Sounds great. <laughs> fractions are one of my favorite. Backslash frac, and then in curly braces the numerator, and then in curly braces the denominator. Oh, maybe we should like do math like that. That seems, <laughs> seems very good. <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful to me to be able to type big, complicated equations mm-hmm. without ever taking my hands off the keyboard. Yeah. No insert symbol. Search, search, search. <laughs> nope. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you use what they call the equation environment, so you say like backslash begin equation, backslash end equation, mm-hmm. it will automatically center the equation on the page and put the number on the right margin, oh. like you see in textbooks, and then you want to reference that equation somewhere, you just backslash ref and whatever you labeled the equation. Oh. Um, how do you change, like, fonts and stuff? And sizes, yeah, so, sizes really. Ah, uh, so changing the font face, the font type, uh-huh. uh, is done at the top. You can say use font, da-da-da. Okay, that's not too bad. Okay. Though why anybody would change from computer modern, I don't know. <gasps> yes, you're right. That's very iconic. It's very iconic. It's actually a more modern class of serif font. Eh? Because serif fonts are technically only up to late 18th century, I found out. Uh, That is very interesting. And it has the bold emphasis of the letters is always on the vertical axis only. So you don't have any of this slanted bold stuff that's weird. Oh. Hmm. 
yeah, anyway, um, typography nerding. But. Uh, I will say that I found this quote that I wanted to... It's so good looking, talking about computer modern, that some scientists do research just so they can use it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, where are we going with this? Um, the size. How do you change size? Yeah. Because what drives me crazy about using the equation editor in Word is it, it just feels like the stuff where they make you stick stuff it looks like it's different sizes or I don't know. I don't like the interface of trying to do that. Well, so if it's like uh, a square root symbol or a left, right parenthesis or something like that, it automatically sizes it for you based okay. on what's in it. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. But if you just want to change like the font size somewhere, it's really complicated. Oh. It's backslash small, backslash large. Backslash extra large, or ah. X large. Ah, ah. I mean, you, you can specify a point too, or you can just say like, if I want something really small, I can say backslash small and type what I was going to, and then say backslash medium. Wow. Okay. Or backslash large. Um, hmm. But if you're doing like sections or something like that, the section, subsection, sub subsection, uh, those are all defined in the document definition that you're using. So you don't have to do anything there. You just type slash section, what it is. Oh, and you could change that whole section feasibly very easy. Yeah. So like that's one great thing about tech is if I write a paper and I did this, uh, wrote a paper, submitted it to one journal, they rejected it. (laughs) So I went to another journal. I literally took their tech style file, dropped it in the folder and hit compile. Oh my gosh. And my document now met the style guidelines and everything and bibliography style guidelines for the other journal. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And the editors love it because you're not, you know, if you submit your article in a word template it's double or triple spaced one column blah blah with line numbers mm-hmm. the tech document looks like the manuscript okay yeah so that's... what you submit is roughly what you're going to get back as a galley proof that's nice though i think some of the journals like you know the new agu style i don't think it matches up so nice anymore oh uh but let's not get started on the new AGU style. Let's not. Yes, correct. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a whole, maybe not appropriate for sure. <laughs> um, so there's, there's LaTeX. Then there was LaTeX. So LaTeX 2E is the current. Um, there's a tutorial. I want to say it's called like 121 minutes to LaTeX or something. <laughs> okay. It's a few hours. You can go through it in an afternoon. Uh mm-hmm. There was, so LaTeX 2E was released in 94, I think. And then it was updated actually just a couple years ago in 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Tech 3 actually has been under development since 2E came out in the early 90s. And finally, a couple years ago when they released the updated 2E, they said, yeah, we're just giving up on 3. (laughs) 
they've actually backported some of the features from 3 that were cool and new into 2E, and 2E is just, that's, that's going to be it. Okay. Interesting. So, All right, well, it's really 2 Epsilon, but... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's, it's not an E. It's an Epsilon. <laughs> That's very important. Um, so can anyone work on this? How does that work? Yep. It's oh, all wow. open source. Um, I believe... Let's see. I'm going to look up the... Yep. Um, so it has its own license, the LaTeX Project Public License. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, it's it's its own special thing. Um, you can run it on basically any system. I so saw here this. is a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I saw this. I was going to ask you if it could run on Mac and stuff, but I saw on the website there is, like, Linux, Mac, Windows, online services even. Yeah, so we'll get to the online services because I've tried some of them, and they're getting pretty sweet. Okay. Um, but okay, so here's a brief list of current tech available compilers for 2E, 2 Epsilon. Um, Solaris, HPUX, AIX, Unix, FreeBSD, macOS, NetBSD, OpenBSD, Red Hat, Debian, Arch, Gentoo, Windows, DOS, Risk OS, <laughs> Amiga OS, and Plan 9. <laughs> All right, so everything's covered. <laughs> yep. If you want to run your Sun workstation... From the, let's see, what, when, when were Sun Workstations big? Late 90s? Um, yes, when I worked at NSSL, that is true. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you could still run, you could still compile a document on your, so your Sun we, Workstation. Which is much older than my 2008 computer in my lab. <laughs> um, it is a little bit of a chunky install, but most of the time that's not a big deal anymore. Okay. Uh I highly recommend just go download MCTech and you'll be all set. Go from there. Okay. I found it easiest to work with something that somebody had done when I was learning. So like the, the guys at work, I said, hey, I wrote a manual for this product in tech. Here it is. Here's what it looks like. Here's the tech document. Now you write a manual for this thing. Okay. And kind of having that to follow your first time or two through is mm -hmm. very helpful. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, but after that, it's it's no big deal. Cool. Sounds it is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a learning curve. If you if you've done anything like it's kind of like Markdown on steroids. <laughs> I'm very interested to try this out. Now the online services. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the one that came out when I was in grad school. So the problem with using tech is one light driving a Subaru. You feel superior. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> right. Uh, two, unless all of your collaborators use tech, it's abysmal. <laughs> okay. So that was, um, I certainly never downloaded that tech uh, template because I knew there was no way I could get any feedback that wasn't, you're going to need to print this off. <laughs> I, so my dissertation was entirely in tech. Mm -hmm. 
every paper except one that I published in grad school was in tech. Okay. I would rather have hand edits on hard copy than use word and track changes. I will say that <laughs> I will say that almost even if it's well, even if I'm using Word, I think I'd rather have hand edits on hard copy than use track changes. <laughs> what about track changes with twenty people? <laughs> exactly. Now, the really annoying thing, and here's where the LaTeX community is so awesome. Uh, one journal required us during revisions to submit the revised version of the paper and to submit a revised version of the paper that was marked up with all the changes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, crap, how am I going to do that? <laughs> Somebody had written a little Perl script that took your oh, original tech oh. file and the other tech file, combined them, wrote a new tech file and compiled it that looked like a track changes output. Oh my gosh. God bless the open source software community. <laughs> Yeah, each and every one. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yes. Excellent. So it's it's really it's it's really nice. Uh, the online editors are trying. They're trying to make tech more friendly. Mm-hmm. Because you can go and edit the tech file, and immediately see the output. Basically, some of them are trying to let you edit sort of on the PDF and then change those edits back into what it would be in tech. Okay. Haven't really seen that work so well. Um, but even also Overleaf is probably the most popular one now. It has pretty much exactly track changes on the tech file in a oh. web interface. Mm-hmm. So if you're working with a large group of people, you can all share this. And it's like a Google Doc. Like, you know, several people can be in there doing stuff, and everybody can see everybody else's changes. Okay. My preference would have been to change my paper, make a pull request to my Git repo, and have my co-authors look at that pull request and mark up their comments. That only works if everybody you mm -hmm. ever write papers with is a giant nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, is true for lots of people. Though I do know one person who uh, will remain nameless, but created a GitHub account for their PI, for their advisor. And their advisor would get a text document or hand edit, make changes. And then they would make those changes in the file through that account they created for this person and make the pull request and all that. <laughs> themselves just for their sanity so they had all the track ah, changes in ah, Git. Ah, ah, ah. That's amazing. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Okay. I do too. Um, uh, let's see. Katie Huff that's been on the show. Mm -hmm. So Katie, as part of her wedding planning, actually had, I think it was invitations or something, had a, a script that took the guest list and like made the invitations in tech. <laughs> And oh my god yeah it was awesome <laughs> oh that's amazing um i think we're totally gonna have to talk about version control again because i remember you talking about this when we talked about version control and yet still everything i do is you know final final 
<laughs> final my initials. Final someone else's initials. <laughs> right. Well, so, so, yeah. You know HTML? Like H1 tags, H2 tags, mm-hmm. P tags, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. It's roughly the same thing. Okay. Just better syntax. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so there's like HTML, there's um, Markdown, which is a little different. Um, there's MathML. I've only touched that, but they're, they're all sort of similar. But yeah, no, it's, it's a great thing. And even if you're just trying to make a grocery list, uh, I recommend doing it in tech. Wow. Okay. All right, I'm going to download it when we're done. <laughs> I mean, you can make some really nice things in Google Docs. We use Google Docs all the time, especially if it's something I need to make. You know, it's a one-off thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm writing directions on how to do the super simple task. It doesn't have to be pretty. I'm just going to make a PDF and email it to somebody so they can get their thing fixed and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it's a document for distribution, if it's, if it's a paper, if it's a book, if it's an instruction manual, if it's something you want to share, tech makes it beautiful. That's interesting. Okay. Maybe it's time. And then we can have uh, a maybe. show about me trying it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're going to have to get that beeper probably out for all the expletives. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of making something beautiful, it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay. Did you like this? So, I found this. <laughs> you did. Uh, this was interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, the, so, the science behind this is a little interesting, actually. Um, but I just thought the existence of this was interesting. <laughs> that's more where I come down to. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this is a follow-up from a 2016 paper that talked about this object to begin with. But I went a little bit further for you because I know you want these two words in here. So the manufacture and origin of the Tutankhamun meteoritic iron dagger by Matsui et al. Which words do I want in there? Manufacturing, right? Origin. Yeah, a manufacturer, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe not origin, but dagger? <laughs> meteoritic? Yeah, oh, no, yeah, that was for me. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, but this okay, is... I'll take dagger. Okay, exactly. <laughs> but this is Meteoritics and Planetary Science. The journal that this is in, and this is from, um, I mean, it's from 2022. So, yeah, new stuff. Wasn't this cool? Yeah, hot, hot off the press. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, Tutankhamun had this meteorite dagger, which I would also like. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> they did some analysis of the dagger to try to figure out more about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, they analyzed the blade, they analyzed the gold on the handle, and we're trying to figure out, well, what did they use to smelt this? Um, but I agree. One, I think the existence of it's cool, and two, the photos of it from when it was found until now, also very cool. Yes, Um so this is found when they got into Tutankhamun's tomb, right, in the 1920s. And so its existence isn't, or knowing its existence isn't new. 
Um, but I don't know how early they knew if 2016 was when they figured out that it's from a meteorite, which is amazing. And I don't know a lot about these dates, but the deal is, you know, when did you start working iron, right? Because Tutankhamun died in 1352 BC, so lots of iron was being worked then. And not only iron, but meteoritic iron. I just want to know what that guy from Forged in Fire would say about it. <laughs> um, I mean, what do you think? What is it, does it look good? It looks pretty good. It looks pretty good, but I don't know. Once he starts beating it against some steel pipe to see if the blade will hold up. <laughs> it's a meteorite. Um, so that, there's that. But it's not just like a carved meteorite. Like this thing has been worked, and we'll talk about how they know that too. Um yeah, so obviously when you have a dagger that belongs to Tutankhamun, you can't do destructive chemical analysis on it. <laughs> and so... You can't dissolve it. You can't cut uh-huh. it in half. You None can't of the fun things. shoot it with a laser. Um, so basically they pointed an XRF at it. And that was what they did. <laughs> yeah, so X-ray fluorescence would give you an idea. You can make certain elements light up stand out mm-hmm. and usually like when we do xrf like you stick the rocks directly on if you're in the lab you have a little holder for the xrf and you set it directly on there or you can take the xrf is a gun it looks like a gun you can take it out to the field and zap the rocks directly with it but this did not touch the blade at all which produces some issues when you're trying to quantify what elements are in there. So I thought it was funny that they used the word, you know, semi-quantitative quite a bit because you have all this air in between the XRF sensor and the actual dagger. And this XRF was actually a mapping XRF. So they didn't just, you know, if you're taking a little XRF gun and you're trying to find out what metal something made out of, you just walk up to it and you hold up, pull the trigger, beep, and it says, okay, this is 316 yeah. stainless. Mm-hmm. Right. Here they're actually doing like a raster of this. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was very, that was interesting to me just because I'm used to having the gun that you go up and point at things and it tells you things. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was that. And now the, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the plots of the result from the XRF make me sad. Oh, I thought that you would be sad about those. Mm-hmm. They're all in jet. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just the output of that software. So there could have been some massaging that took place here, I feel like. Well, and these bands Ugh. that they see. Yeah. One, you got you to gotta squint like a geophysicist to see these. Boy, do you ever. I was going to make that joke, too. And... <laughs> <laughs> and the sharpness of the bands. Oh, I mean, okay, sure, maybe they're there, but this color map grossly skews what these data look like. Mm-hmm. And so the bands we're talking about are the Widmanstatten patterns that are indicative of meteoritic iron. Right. So specifically octahedrite. Mm-hmm. Which I had to look up, and I'm going to say, <gasps> granted... <laughs> I know this blade was worked, but it does not look like octahedrite patterning. I had to look it up, too. 
Mm -hmm. So that is interesting to me that you also had to look like that or look that up. I was like, I know stuff about meteorites. So like, oh, hmm. well, there we go. <laughs> You're like, okay, I take it back. I knew the word chondrite. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but not this one, which is the most common class of iron meteorite. Didn't know that. Yep. Didn't know <laughs> wind and shot pattern, though. I knew that one. Um, oh, see, I didn't know that one either. I, I had to look it up and then mumble through how to say it so. oh no that's how I, I always say Wundenstaden which I'm sure is 1000% not right I know don't correct me I took German but that's the no, only please way please do I... <laughs> audio comments <laughs> that's the only way I remember it <laughs> <laughs> it's like certain words spell it I have to say it wrong to spell it right yes ex mm -hmm. veggie table yeah <laughs> yep except that's I have no occasion to ever write or even say that word. <laughs> Isn't that spelled C-H-I-C-K-E-N for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, fish is practically a vegetable. I'm surprised you even partake in that. <laughs> I'd say I ate it. So it's practically a vegetable. That's yeah, true. That's true. <laughs> Chicken is children's meat. So. <laughs> Therefore, anyway. Um, back yeah. to Tutankhamun's. comments. <laughs> Iron Dagger. Uh, yeah, so that was real, um, it, yes, very squinty in terms of working out that pattern. Um, but the overall chemical analysis of this is very close to these octahedrite meteorites. So, yeah. Right. Meteorite but it's one of the things where after it's worked that much, do you really expect the original patterning to I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, to me, the banding, the width of the bands looks exactly like one sensor width. Yeah, that's a little. Mm -hmm. Seems a little suspicious there, but. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. But they did have another octahedrite sword that they knew about and compared it to, and I don't know, it was semi compelling, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's uh, yes. the analysis was presented in a not great way. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. Um, the other part of this dagger is the golden handle, which this part was more interesting historically than geologically, I guess. Well, eh, maybe not. But they did an analysis of the gold, and the gold contained, a, I'll say a lot in quotes, like 0.2% calcium and then like a bunch of chlorine in it. And that is indicative of how they would affix gold leaf to other metal. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So that was kind of cool that, you know, this wasn't all just made out of pure gold. They would adhese or use adhesive on the gold that they would put into hilts and sheaths and I guess they used lime as an adhesive on this as opposed to usually they would use gypsum and that little piece of chemical information led them to a part of turkey that was very commonly used that sort of adhesive and so they think that this was a gift um, from the Anatolia region of Turkey. Which I guess they had some, uh, I will not try to pronounce this, some transcribed p 
papyrus saying that this was actually a gift from leaders of Turkey to Tutankhamun. Well, it was. Just, I think it was Tutankhamun's grandfather, wasn't it? Oh yes, yes, yes. Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these uh, these are Amarna letters, mm-hmm. something right. like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's not even close, but that's that's nope. the Arkansas pronunciation. <laughs> Amarna. <laughs> it was cool that it says that it was diplomatic correspondence. I thought that was interesting, and it was written in an international language at the time. So, the Esperanto. So Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, the Esperanto of the East, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) We need to do an entire show in Esperanto, show. Oh my gosh, yes, we're totally going to do it. It's just going to be me counting to ten over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) God, I was such a dork in high school. Um, (laughs) I didn't name part of my company in Esperanto, though. I would have if I had a company, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's uh, our, our training company's named in Esperanto, so there you go. Super impressed with that. Uh, yeah, so I just thought this was really cool. I didn't know this existed. These pictures are really neat. Um, it talks about, too, because there's some black marks on the blade itself, and those haven't changed, so it's not like something that's corroding since they found it. And it's actually a product of the meteorite. So if you're going to forge this iron and work it you got to heat it up to some temperature. And we know it didn't get to the eutectic point, which I think was cool. And I remember from meteorology. Um, so the eutectic for this combo of minerals is about 950 degrees C. So it was below that. And part of the corrosion on here is changing some of these minerals and oxidizing basically iron and driving out these sulfur chunks and so there's like these little vesicles and these black spots that are created by heating that up and oxidizing parts of the iron minerals in there right mm-hmm. that's all you got and to say right geophysicist <laughs> well no I, I think it's just funny that they call this like cold forging because it was below 950 i know <laughs> it's not exactly cold freezing <laughs> yeah there's a lot of igneous rocks that melt it yeah. Yeah. Cold forging. Correct. Right. <laughs> to me, cold forging is like you stick it in the microwave for 30 right. seconds. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, crazy. But no, this was a, a great paper. And if you've got some uh, XRF images of daggers that you found in Egyptian burial tombs, <laughs> uh, we would love to see those, preferably with a perceptually linear color map, though. <laughs> Shannon, how can folks send that in? Please. Uh, we will not accept Jet. Uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Sometimes we hang out on our Slack channel. It is on the software underground the don't panic channel and as always thank you to our patreon supporters you can support us too on patreon don't panic or patreon.com slash don't panic geo and until next week remember don't panic it's not an exact science any opinions findings conclusions or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or 